Hello, and thank you for listening to Renewables, a podcast by Biostar, which aims to explore the current and future energy landscape in America. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Renewables. I'm your host, David Smart, Chief Commercial Officer at Biostar Renewables. I'm very excited for this week's episode. Shout out and thank you to all of our listeners and viewers who continue to tune in. A little bit of a different spin on on this episode. We're going to be talking about marketing and brand strategy Um, And we are very pleased and honored to welcome Eric Ressler, founder and creative director of Cosmic. Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've just had a blast going through your website. Uh, It's such an amazing website. So everybody hop on while you're listening. I'm sure our editing team will put in some really cool screenshots and uh, screen recordings of your website. It's very impressive. Um, but, but before we get into what you do and, um, you know, developing a strong brand and some of the topics we're going to touch on today, just tell us a little bit about your background, how you came to found this awesome company. My background really is in creative expression, starting from a young age, you know, everything from art to music, which I still have a passion for. Uh, through, you know, film, uh, photo, video, really just, you know, exploring all these different media mediums and ultimately started to kind of converge upon a career path uh, in design more specifically. And so what I love about design is that it's this convergence of art and purpose. And I just find that pair to be just so powerful and so interesting to explore. The long and short of it is that founded Cosmic out of doing design as a freelancer. And we're about 13 years old now as an organization. After about seven years of doing design work, branding work, uh, digital products for a lot of startups and B2B brands and B2C brands, alongside orgs in the social impact space, we realized that we really wanted to put a stake in the ground around this this sector of social impact and focus our energy and our expertise exclusively to that sector. And so we repositioned the firm uh, around that. And that's really kind of the beginning of this whole journey for us of this transition and now this deepening expertise and commitment to the sector. Yeah. And that was one of my questions. And this might seem like a loaded question, but you you call Cosmic a social impact creative agency. Talk about what that really means to you and your mission. So the way that we think about social impact is is we think about organizations that exist to move humanity forward in one way or another. So organizations that that's their founding purpose. It's not necessarily something they're doing alongside their their core work. Um, so like a, a CSR campaign or a CSR arm to a larger corporation for us isn't really the, the main kind of organization that we're trying to attract. And I don't mean that in a necessarily derogatory way i think that there's sure. you know great work that can happen from a corporation that that spins up a you know an impact arm um and i don't necessarily think that every organization in the world must be a purpose driven or a social impact organization either um but in terms of who we are trying to attract and who we're working with every day we are working with organizations that that's their their origin story is trying to solve some kind of um you know issue or move humanity forward in one way or another so we 
work with a lot of nonprofit organizations, as you can imagine. We work with um, B Corps and social enterprises, and then we do some work with funders and folks who actually um, are responsible for funding this kind of work, you know, governments, foundations, those kind of organizations as well. The creative agency part, um, creative agency is sort of a broad term uh, that can mean different things. Um, the way that we define it and the the focus that we have in helping our clients is really around uh, brand building, messaging, some of that kind of foundational branding work, and then digital experiences and expressions of that brand. So building out websites, apps, um, and also you know strategies for using digital channels to actually move their missions forward. Awesome. So you kind of answered my next question, which was who are your clients, but any specific clients that you can talk about or brag about on the show? Oh, there's so many. I mean, so we work with a broad array of clients within the space. So, you know, a couple to call out, Nourish California out of California, helping to provide food security to Californians in many different ways, mostly through policy work. Um, Stem from Dance out of New York, who are working with black and brown girls in underserved communities to bring STEM skills and a STEM career path to them through a dance-based curriculum, which is really awesome. Uh, Mm. Constructive Dialogue Institute, they're an organization that is working primarily in higher education, but branching into lower education as well to teach us how to have conversations where we disagree about topics in a way that's actually constructive. Um, You know, all the way through. I think most Americans could use some help with. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think we could all agree with that, um, yeah. you know, all the way through doing some conservation work and climate campaigns. So we're really lucky to be able to work, even though we're focused in this this niche of social impact, it's still a pretty broad variety of clients. And we're so inspired by the people that we get to support and work with um, who are all approaching these issues in really creative, interesting ways. And we get to come in and help them do a better job of telling their story to their audience and using digital tools and building a brand that we think of as an impact multiplier for their work. That's excellent. And there are a lot of really cool stories featured on the Cosmic website. So again, this won't be the last time that I uh, call out your your really impressive website. I've really enjoyed poking around on there and reading about some of your clients and, and the work that they're doing. You know, just, I guess, um, high level, certainly if you have specific examples, that's great. But from a branding and messaging standpoint, it really feels like this niche that you're working in has really kind of gained some some steam, particularly in the last decade or so. Um, what, what do you see co- consumers reacting to? What do you think is working from a branding and messaging standpoint or, or working the best? So I think you've sort of alluded to this in the way you asked the question, but this is a sector that traditionally hasn't invested a lot of energy and resources to brand uh, and brand building and even digital experiences. Um, That's obviously shifted rapidly in the last decade or so. um, And I think even more so at the beginning of the pandemic because of this huge societal digital transformation that was already in place, but that gained steam rapidly out of necessity. Mm I still think that the bar is too low for this sector if you start to look at it and compare it to the corporate sector and how much time, energy, and effort gets invested in brand strategy, brand building, media, all these things that 
we know are critical to the success of an organization today in 2023 when we're recording this podcast. Luckily, there's a lot of really smart people who understand the value of that, that are dedicating their work and their lives to these these organizations. And that means that there is a bit of a transformation happening. There's a lot of other folks um, like me and my team who are set up to help organizations do this. Um, there's a lot of in-house expertise, people coming out of the corporate world, going into the impact world to try and apply their expertise. So I'd say what's working is largely when an organization in this space understands the value of this work and gives it a proper seat at the table from a strategic level and integrates it into their overall business strategy, that's when it works. It doesn't work mm -hmm. when it's something that's thought of as you know, a nice to have or something that happens after the real work is done or you know someone's second or third job to you know post some stuff on their social channels because yeah. everyone's on social media so we must be too that doesn't typically work very well um so i would say you know we can get much more granular about like particular strategies or tactics or channels but to me it's really more of a like cultural shift that you have to think about this work as integral to the success of your organization rather than something that you do after the work is done sure yeah i think we've seen a a lot of brands in the last five, 10 years kind of misstep, I guess, try to, try to, you know, do something that they think is going to be well received, but, but the modern day consumer who I think is very discerning and, you know, is paying attention, um, I think sort of sees through it. So I won't call anyone out specifically, but I think we can all think of one or two or three, you know, social media campaigns that kind of backfired and, um, you know, examples of where brands kind of weren't really putting their money where their mouth is to use, uh, an overused old expression, but, um, no, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. That makes a lot of sense. And one of the things I really enjoyed about reading on your website was your manifesto. You have a manifesto for today's social impact leader. And we can talk, um, about as much of that as you want to, because every sort of step of it is really interesting. But there were a couple things that I thought were particularly interesting. So I'm just going to say those couple of things, and then I want you to explain to our listener, listeners and viewers what it means. So the first one was, uh, we will win in the attention economy. Yeah, so the attention economy, I think uh, whether or not you've heard that term or, you know, understand the, you know, textbook definition of it, it's something I think we're all familiar with. And yeah. really I think where it begins is information is now free and flowing and accessible more so than ever before in culture. And that's great in a lot of ways. We can easily get information, we can learn quickly, we can share ideas basically effortlessly across the globe in real time. And that's had some really positive impacts on society, but it's also had some negative impacts on society. I think the challenge today as a social impact leader or someone who's trying to spread a new idea or work towards creating positive social change is that it's becoming increasingly hard to capture and sustain people's attention. And that's because we have such a fragmented daily experience as humans in this modern digital age that our attention is becoming harder and harder to capture and sustain. And it's literally the reason it's called the attention economy is because it's a marketplace and our attention is being bought and sold by corporations and advertisers and media companies. 
And so I think we kind of have to start there if we're talking about how do you build a brand today? How do you reach an audience today? How do you affect their uh, their impulse to act? All of that really starts with understanding and accepting and playing within this attention economy. And then there's, you know, strategies and tactics that you can use to try to win in the attention economy. We can kind of get more into that uh, in some of the further points, probably in the manifesto, but that's really the framing of how we think about doing this work. Yeah. And the next one, which is obviously related and anybody who's, you know, studied recently marketing tactics, I certainly have not at the level of depth that you have, but you, you talk about publishing scroll stopping content, which is obviously related. So talk about what that means and how do you get people to stop scrolling? Yeah, it's such a big question. I, I think there's a lot of ways that that can happen. And, you know, on one side of the spectrum, we could think about like really highly produced, you know, expensive content that's different or novel in its format. Um, that's really eye-catching or whatever, right? Like that's one side. But the other side is something that's completely lo-fi and, you know, someone recording themselves on a phone, but the content, the message, the story is so interesting that it stops us in our tracks, right? So there's no one answer in terms of like, how do you publish scroll-stopping content? I think the the strategy here or the the way that you can think about this, though, is if you think about people's social feeds or their email inboxes or these channels of information that we're constantly curating, we've become ruthless curators of our information intake these days because at, born out of necessity, right? If we read every email, if we read everything in our feeds, we would have no time to do anything else in life, um, right? There's a limit, again, back to the attention economy, there's this overflow of information. So when you think about content production as the main way that you are communicating with your audience, whether a content is an article or a podcast like this or a virtual event or you know a, a video, whatever the kind of format is, how can you create content that gets people to stop scrolling within their feed and actually engage and interact? Because you can produce the most beautiful thing, but if people don't if it doesn't capture their attention and get them to dig in, then it's for nothing. And so the actual way you do that, you know, it's very highly specific to your niche and your audience and what format works best and, and all of that. Mm -hmm. But this kind of general concept of like, if you're just pumping out content for the sake of content and the format is boring, the content isn't inspiring or interesting, then it's not going to probably do much to move the needle. So you really have to come up with a strategy of like, rather than even publishing more, like, could we really elevate the quality of the content, the the impact of it, and do less better content instead of more drivel, I think is really, at the end of the day, what it comes down to. Sure. Well, I've been really amazed. Uh, again, I barely know enough to scratch the surface, but I've been really amazed at how complex and sophisticated these social media platforms algorithms are and how much data they're collecting about how long you stopped and um, did you swipe to the right and look at the next picture or did you just stop for a split second and then keep scrolling? And uh, as a father of two young children, it's all frankly terrifying to me um, how much they know and how good at uh, curating, you know, 
content is to keep us scrolling and keep us engaged on the platforms. But um, if you're interested in learning more about the manifesto or reading the rest of the steps, uh, log on to Cosmic's website. It's a place you can find that. And certainly, uh, Eric, if you want to talk through any more of that, you're welcome to, of course, on the show. Um, but I want to pivot to kind of ESG, which is is obviously probably um, you know a part of your your clients um, you know reason for retaining you, I would think, uh, to help really build out the ESG strat. I mean, I guess what I've kind of heard you say is um, maybe the folks who are just this is our core business and no, now we need to have an ESG strategy. They those might really not be your clients, but. Um, we talk about ESG fair amount on the show, mostly the environmental, a little bit less the social, and probably the least the governance piece. Um, but but you know talk talk us through kind of the E, the S, and the G, um, and how your clients, I guess, are focused on that strategy and and what's important to them. Yeah, and you know I'll just restate that I, I'm not critical of organizations having an ESG strategy. I think it's really sure. important. I think this is something we all need to come to the table on some of these, um, you know, societal issues, environmental issues. Um, it's going to take, you know, government. It's going to take the corporate world. It's going to take this kind of third sector of social impact all working collectively to make you know systems level change. So. Um, you know, we do also work with some organizations that, you know, have an ESG department. So, you know, I could speak to this um, in a couple of different ways. I think, you know, we typically work with organizations that might lean a little bit more into the E side or a little bit more into the S side. But as I'm sure, you know, you think about a lot, there's really no hard dividing line between those things. Um, right. They are interconnected and synergistic. So, what I would say is like we work with organizations, for example, that are doing literal conservation work, like they're protecting land and the environment um, and preserving it. So like we've done work with land trusts before, um, for example. And, you know, what's interesting about the land trust world is there's kind of a shift around conservation and trying to kind of like traditional conservation was let's, you know, take this land and say like no humans allowed here. This is just wild land. Um and there's still some land like that and still land trusts out there and, and conservation groups out there that are doing that. But there's also a new strategy emerging where it's like we actually need to get people on the land and reconnected with the land and the environment. Part of the reason that we've caused so much environmental destruction is because we as humans are becoming detached from our origins of you know, being part of a natural system. And so, you know, and you see that through connection with nature, through a disconnection with our kind of food system and how food happens. Um, and so I think there's obviously been a huge push from many great organizations to try and like rekindle those connections. Um, so, you know, there's conservation organizations that we work with, but then there's also um, organizations that we've worked with who are, developing new energy technologies as a way to, you know, we need energy to power our society. Um, there's all kinds of new technologies being created to produce sustainable and renewable and clean energy. And that's going to be, I think, critical for us as we mitigate this, you know, disaster of climate change that's happening. That's, you know, a truly existential threat for our species and one that's becoming more real by the day and that we're all starting to see the effects of more by the day already. So 
we're really lucky to have been able to work with organizations that are coming up with, you know, uh, for example, a client of ours, Wind Harvest, has developed a new what's called near ground turbines. So you think about wind energy being these like massive mm -hmm. turbines, right? And the reason for that is because the near ground wind that's really low to the ground is so turbulent and, and chaotic that traditional turbines like can't even like harness that energy. It's just too chaotic. They developed mm -hmm. a turbine that can actually do that. So it can either sit underneath those larger turbines or go to places that were traditionally thought of as like not viable for wind energy, right? So there's gonna be, mm -hmm. there's a need for and a huge rapid uh, innovation in this space of new energy technology, right? That's obviously really critical to the E side of things as well. And, you know, that would be kind of the spectrum, right? One is like protecting land and the other is figuring out how do we integrate with our environment and in the natural order of things in a more sustainable, renewable way. Um, and then on the social side of things, uh, you know, we've worked with organizations who are, you know, fighting for and representing, um, you know, uh, at-risk populations or populations that have been uh, left behind by society or harmed by current culture. So we've done some work with Lakota People's Law Project, for example, and that's a group that is helping to protect and preserve the Lakota people. They were in really integral in the Dakota Access Pipeline issue and, you know, fighting for indigenous rights in many different campaigns. That's a grassroots movement, right, where they're doing policy work. They're mobilizing a coalition of supporters. So that's, you know, a very uh, social justice angle on the social side of things. And then there's other organizations that we've worked with that are working more within the existing structures and trying to advance better policy, uh, more inclusive policy. And they're doing work kind of within the system that exists. So, you know, again, there's so many different ways to approach this work and and there's no one right way for any of these issues. Something that I think about a lot is these issues are literally the most intractable issues in culture. They're the issues that have not been solved despite really good efforts uh, in many cases through government, through corporations. And they're, they're thorny, wicked problems. They're not easy to solve. They're very complex. They're rooted in broader systems that kind of lead to these things. And in certain cases, there's you know, there's power reasons why this happens. And, you know, sometimes those, those, um, it, it's not fair or just, and we just need to, you know, point that out and work towards changing those things. But in many cases, it's also that these issues are just really complex and they're not easy to solve. And there isn't one solution. It's going to take a lot of folks coming together from different perspectives to solve them. So at a broad level, you know, we're, we're lucky to be able to, support different organizations who have unique strengths in all of those different ways to work together. Very interesting. I, you talked when we were doing kind of a prep episode for the show about sort of the, the tone around climate change and sort of the, the, the messaging around climate change. And I thought your perspective on that was really interesting. Um, share a little bit about, how you think um how you think about you know the messaging and what the messaging should be around around climate change yeah i mean i think we can all kind of relate to this doom and gloom messaging around climate being mostly just depressing <laughs> at this point and i think it's I, I don't want to go too strong against that because i think if you ignore the truth and the science that's not effective, right? We can't just put our head in the sand around this stuff. 
Um, but if we're trying to message this more broadly to the public, if all we do is present this dire, insurmountable problem to people who actually, you know, don't have individually a ton that they can do to move the needle. I think about this metaphor of like, sometimes climate change feels like you're an ant and you're up against a glacier. It just feels like, what am I individually as Eric going to be able to do about this? Yeah, I can yeah. change my, my, you know, my eating, I can change my travel. But if I only do that and no one else does, it's not going to make a lick of difference. Um, and I think that that feels very defeating and apathetic, right? As someone who cares deeply about this issue, it's very stress inducing and you can get into this um, existential crisis almost around like, where am I getting my food and like, how am I traveling and should I be biking more and like all these things. And, and to a degree that's kind of by design, like this problem has been put on our individual shoulders by larger corporations who have much more ability to move the needle on this by collective impact, right? So if large corporations who are using 70% of our, you know, or, or creating 70% of the CO2 emissions make small changes to their operations, that has a much larger impact on the overall CO2 emissions than any one person does. So I think in general, the messaging problem is like we need to move away from doom and gloom messaging into more hopeful and aspirational and inclusive messaging that that gets us inspired about all the good work that is happening in this space and makes people feel like there is actually something that they can do, whether that is, you know, um, rallying politically around causes, you know, doing the hard work of getting things through a broken government, um, which is, you know, the government we have is the government we have, and we should be improving that. But in the, in the meantime, there's still ways that change can happen within a broken system, and we can't wait to fix the entire system to make that change. And so we need to do both, right? We, we have to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. We can't wait until we have this perfect democracy where everything is just and fair. Like that's not going to happen anytime soon. The trajectory there isn't frankly looking very good. So like, what can we do in the meantime? Yes, we should pressure, um, you know, politicians and people in power to do better. Um, and at the same time, let's get some stuff done that we can get done right now. And so I think that if the messaging is always, we're screwed, we're behind target, it's, you know, it's really bad. At a certain point, like we feel uninspired as individuals to be able to take any meaningful action there. And so I think that's a tough balance to strike. And it really kind of depends on the kind of campaign that you're trying to run. But um, we were lucky to be able to do a campaign for a really awesome org out of California called Let's Green California that has been able to do that. And we, we strategically we created a brand and a message and a tone that was aspirational, that was nostalgic for, you know, good vibes, California. And it really resonated with people and it allowed them to, you know, really build a strong community of supporters who felt activated and engaged and ultimately allowed them to get some actual bills passed. And so, you know, I, I, I just think that we have to look at messaging as a really critical part of climate strategy. I would say like a corollary would be like public health communication is equally difficult, right? And we saw how not to do this in COVID times um, in many yeah. different cases, right? And it's it's difficult if you're really trying to educate like an entire population 
Uh, it's very difficult work to do, but I think that it's equally difficult work to do climate messaging, right? And we all need to start to think about how we message this problem or we're going to continue to run into some of the same roadblocks. Yeah, very well said. And I, I do, I agree with you. And, you know, for me, probably the, my favorite part about doing this podcast is I'm inspired kind of week after week from the different folks. And of course, we're more focused on the, you know, renewable energy and technology development side of things. But uh, I learn something new every time I record one of these episodes. And there really are some amazing, amazing very bright individuals and organizations out there who are working really hard to help us achieve some of these goals. And um, at the end of the day, you know, the corporations, um, while I agree, you know, probably have a bigger share of the pie, um, they need, you know, innovative entrepreneurs. And a lot of that starts at the individual level. And I've just been amazed, particularly this season uh, and last season at just all of the so now I'm plugging myself, forgive me, but go listen to some of our previous episodes because there are some amazing guests on who are just doing uh, work that, you know, for me, I can't even fathom until I, I learn about it. And so important to help those bigger corporations see a path towards solving some of these problems. So um, that's probably my favorite part about doing what we do here. And um, I think there is you know, a bright side, uh, that, that we can focus on. So, well, we're going to start to wrap this up, I guess, you know, um, pretty broad question, but what are you most excited about? I always ask everybody, what are you most excited about as you look to the future? And you've been around for over a decade now, your company has, and you've probably learned a lot of way along the way, but what, what excites you the most as you look to the future? Well, I think I'm, the type of person that always loves to learn and stay curious. And what's really cool about being an agency, really, especially an agency that's focused on social impact, is that every time we work with a new client, we get to learn a little bit about their niche or their focus area. So I'm always most excited about what do I get to learn this year and what do I get to learn next year about similar to what you're talking about with guests on the podcast, like really creative interesting, smart people doing work and applying their lives and their and their energy towards innovative ways of moving humanity forward. I mean, I think it's just such a privilege to be able to work with folks doing that. Um, you know, a lot of these folks are doing work that is behind the scenes that's kind of thankless and difficult, tough work. Um, yeah. And when we get to be part of helping them do their work better and making their organizations more effective and see that see kind of the fruits of their labor and help them multiply their impact is just so rewarding and it's tough work for us too. Uh, a lot of these issues are, you know, emotionally charged, difficult, complex issues. So we have to spend a lot of time listening, approaching the work from a framework of empathy, uh, you know, understanding viewpoints that are potentially different than our own and figuring out how to kind of bridge all of that into a cohesive impact story and message and strategy. And so, it's tough, but it's really rewarding and really interesting work. And so I just look forward to the next group of folks we get to help this year and next year. That's great. And uh, I do too. I've really enjoyed learning about Cosmic and 
uh, following along with your company just in the short time that we've known one another, I will definitely continue to do so. And if you're watching or listening, uh, go and check out designbycosmic.com. We will include that as well as uh, some social handles and things like that in the show notes so that it's easy for everybody to find. But certainly a great follow. And if you are a social impact organization looking for a partner, reach out, connect with Eric. Uh, Eric, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've really enjoyed getting to meet you and learning about Cosmic. And um, maybe you'll come back next season to download us on, on what you've been up to. But really appreciate your time. Thank you for being a guest. And uh, to our listeners and viewers, thank you for making this show possible. Make sure and click that follow button if you don't already. This has been another episode of Renewables. I'm your host, David Smart. And we'll see you in a couple weeks. Thank you. Hello, and thank you for listening to Renewables, a podcast by Biostar, which aims to explore the current and future energy landscape in America. 